Welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. My name is Lisa Wilkerson. And before we get into episode two of my podcast, I want to thank um, each and every one of you for all your support and love and feedback. Um, Some of you have contacted me uh, privately to say that you can relate to some of the stuff that I talk about or that you find um, my podcast really entertaining. And all that feedback is just great for me because I've been wanting to do this podcast for several years. Um, And it was kind of terrifying, you know, to put myself out there and to be vulnerable. It's a very personal um, podcast. So um, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And it's given me fuel to keep going. Yay! (laughs) All right. So today we're going to talk about language. Um, As you might be able to decipher from the title, which is a bilingual, um, which is what I call myself. When I do interpreting for clients, um, a lot of times I'll say, which is kind of a play on, you know, the Japanese word for bilingual is but there's also the word for gal, which is gyaru. So I put the two together and I call myself gyaru. And then they always love that, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. Anyway, so language for me as a TCK, oh, it's such a complicated relationship. Um, I obviously English is my first language. Um, but even English, I sometimes struggle to find the word or I might say something that's a little bit off that isn't necessarily how you would say it in English. And and I still deal with that today. Um, and then, yeah, of course, you know, Japanese is not my um, first language, not my native uh, tongue. So it's hard because I don't really have, in many ways, I don't really have a com- a language that I feel 100% comfortable in. And I'm sure that there are so many people that can relate to this. Um, my journey with language has been going on since we first moved to Sendai, you know, where I was in that one room school. And that's the first time that I started uh, studying reading, writing, and also started learning how to speak Japanese, you know, amongst kids, like in the playground and whatnot. Um, and with our with our helper, because we had a um, wonderful otetsudai um, san, as they call it, but like a helper who would come a couple days a week and help my mom, you know, with all of us and also with the uh, meals and I used to speak to her in Japanese. So for me, that those first three years in Sendai was a really wonderful base for the language in general. But then I and then I moved to Texas, of course, and we lived there for almost a year, and I never used Japanese. So it was put in the very back of the hard drive. And then I had to come back to Tokyo and started going to school at an international school called ASIJ. Um, 
while I was there, I got put in the advanced Japanese class. And from what I remember, I don't know, it could be different, but I remember it as I was the only non-Japanese in that class. And I felt like the teacher picked on me all the time. Now, of course, she might have been really, you know, meaning to do good. Like maybe she was just trying to be strict with everyone. But my takeaway was that she was being really mean to me. And because of that, I hated studying Japanese, Um, which is quite interesting that it happened during this time because we also had a Japanese cultural class in elementary school at ASIJ. And the woman that that hosted, well, the teacher that had that class was fabulous. I absolutely loved her. She was kind of this very interesting woman. Like she always walked around in these long flowing cafetans and it, she almost felt like a super awesome, cool geisha teacher. Um, and when we would go to her class, she would usually, you know, dim the lights, maybe read a story to us in Japanese, like a, you know, Japanese folklore or something, or we would watch videos of really cool animated, um, Japanese, um, you know, children's fairy tales. So I love that, but I hated the other aspect, the learning to read and write in the advanced Japanese class. And I had such a reaction that I decided I didn't want to study Japanese anymore. Um, It was one of those things where I said, okay, if I need to take a language credit, I'm going to do Spanish or I'm going to do French. You know, it was a really strong reaction to that. And it kind of stayed with me, even though I use Japanese, kind of, you know, like very light conversational Japanese with all my friends at school, going into high school and everything, or, you know, going to the trains, you know, whatever, like in the stores, going to eat. But I did not actually use very much Japanese. Um, and then I grew, and then I graduated from high school, moved to Dayton, uh, Dayton, Tennessee, where I went to school for a year in Bryan College. And I think I touched a little bit on the fact that there was a exchange student for the first time ever from Japan. She came from Osaka. Her name was Shoko. And we just kind of gravitated, you know, to each other because we both were homesick <laughs> and it was a very, very different life for both of us. Osaka is a very big city. I came from downtown Tokyo and they were going to a super, super small town. And it was such a culture shock for both of us. So we would often get together and only speak Japanese. And that brought me back to the, the pendulum swung just a little bit and brought me back to having a more positive um, approach to the Japanese language and to Japan and to the culture. Um, and because of that, I decided that I need to go back to Japan at the age of 18 and I need to figure out where I fit into this equation. I needed to find my own unique mix of the two. Right. So then I started working at a company called 
FSA, Foreigner Support Association, which I know doesn't sound like a business, but it was. Um, it was a agency, basically, where we had a lot of non-Japanese girls, guys from all over, from various ages and various countries. And we would hire them to do promotional events or, you know, modeling jobs. And so I actually managed um, a lot of the models, promotional models, even though most, most of them were older than me, but I took them around to the jobs. I also interviewed, you know, uh, potential models and I would always be the go-between with the client and with the model or the talent. So um, that again was a very positive reinforcement for me. And then, um, and I will go into how I got this interview in a different podcast, but then I got an opportunity to interview with J-Wave, which when it opened or launched in Japan in the late 80s, it was a bubble economy, so much money being thrown around all over the place. So it was a huge deal that a brand new international radio station was starting up in Tokyo. And I was very fortunate to get an interview with the guy who created the radio station. And I went and met with them. It was um, Yokoi-san was his name. I still remember. He was absolutely fabulous. And it was him. He was the one that created the station. And it was him and a few other people um, from the radio station. And, you know, they were talking to me and trying to get a little bit of insight into who I was, my background. And they talked about how they were looking for bilingual and bicultural people to help staff the radio station. So they asked me, you know, are you bicultural? Yes. Are you bilingual? I wasn't, but I said yes. Um, and that was a pivotal moment for me in my language um, ability, language approach, language relationship, because all of a sudden I told someone that I was bilingual when I really wasn't. And I started playing catch up for the first time. And it's interesting how I continue to have those moments. So now, obviously, I use Japanese a lot more. I'm an interpreter and I do both, you know, simultaneous and consecutive interpreting. So I have a much better handle on the relationship. Um, however, I'm always finding myself way over my head with a job where I'm just like, why did I take this? You know? And then it sometimes it kind of takes me back to that classroom in elementary school, that advanced Japanese classroom. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, um, but I've gone through that so many times and I've made it on the other side so many times that now for me, um, I have a much better uh, relationship with Japanese. But I feel like a lot of kids who grow up with more than one language, whether it be two, whether it be five, you know, I'm always envious of people that can speak several languages. Um, but, you know, I know that it is really hard to find a balance. Um, so it's not just the culture, you know, that you're trying to find your own unique mix of it, 
but the language is always a huge part of it. And I know a lot of TCKs like me, who some of them don't really know very much Japanese or they don't use it. And so I completely understand. And it's a very personal thing, I think. You know, when I tell people, like just randomly, I meet people or I'm introduced to people or whatever, you know, um, I meet people and, you know, we start talking about our, our various, you know, our own stories. And they're like, Oh, Japan, you grew up there. So you must be fluent in Japanese. And I kind of chuckle because I'm like, just because you grow up in a culture does not make you fluent in the language. It's so interesting how people just assume, you know, (laughs) I'm like, no, you don't understand. Um, And to this day, when I talk to Japanese or talk to people and say, yeah, I grew up in Japan. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why you speak. And they kind of write it off. Like it's not a big thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't understand all the drama and all the frustration that I've gone to gone through to get to this point. Um, You know, and for me, at one point when I was in Japan working, doing radio, you know, of course, I had to start learning how to read scripts and teleprompters. And, you know, like even with voice work, I had to start to learn to read Japanese with that, too. And every time I go in, I kind of go back to that fifth grade me where I'm so intimidated by the situation. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I'm so hard on myself when it comes to that kind of thing, you know, but um, I, at one point though, I did try to learn Japanese. I took private lessons and I think it was twice a week I was going to a, you know, to, to study Japanese. And when I first met with my teacher, I remember her telling me that I, she said, Liesl, you are the hardest student to teach. And I'll tell you why. Um, You already have a good sense. By then I was, you know, I I could speak Japanese and it was pretty good. Um, She said, but you have a relatively good handle on the language as far as speaking, but you have such a gap between the spoken Japanese and the writing and the reading. And so for you, it's going to be extremely frustrating because you are going to have to learn and relearn stuff that you already know that you're like, why do I need to do this? Right. Plus I was working. So she said, you know, it's going to feel like a lot of the stuff that you're learning doesn't really apply to your everyday, you know, job. And so because of this, you know, it's going to be really hard on you. And she was right. I did go to Japanese class for, or lessons for a year and a half. But finally, I just said to myself, I can't do this anymore. It was just too frustrating. And I didn't really have that much time to study. And so, you know, I just said, okay, yeah, this is not for me. And, but I continue to be a student of the language because I continue to have these jobs where I have an enormous learning curve and they're very uncomfortable. I just had one recently where I had to do a translation and it was for 70 files 
from Japanese to English, and I don't do very much translation. Now, for those of you that don't know, interpreting translation, completely different skill set. Um, interpreting is more about being live and in the, in the moment, and you have to do the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the two languages. But for me, honestly, and it's going to sound weird, but it reminds me a lot of DJing because you have to do that as well. You have to be extremely quick on your feet. And so interpreting is, I'm so much more comfortable with it, but with translating where it's so much more detail oriented and you have a deadline. So you have time to, you know, go over the script and I don't know, it's just really, really hard for me. So because of that, I don't do it. Um, I refuse a lot of work, uh, you know, for translation work, but I was given an opportunity to do a really big job and it was quite interesting content. And, you know, it was at the end of the year, actually. So I thought, you know, I don't really have that much going on anyway. So maybe this is a great way to once more, you know, um, put, put myself out there. And I knew it was going to be extremely overwhelming. And yet yeah, I did it. And I'm so glad I did because I had such a wonderful feeling of accomplishment from, you know, becoming vulnerable and doing it and, and it just has been time after time, I'm having so many of those moments. And it's the same with interpreting too. This is how I got to where I am now, but I put myself out there, become vulnerable. Don't know if I'm up for the task, but I do it anyway. And it always leads to being a learning curve for me. And I think that's just how I learn. And I know this about myself. So I do try to do that. You know, um, of course, I don't try to, you know, do a job where it's like, oh, okay, biochemistry, translation, like, I, there's no way that I would you know, put myself out there for that because I would completely not know what I'm doing. Um, reading and writing, as I mentioned, has always been such a weakness for me, but moving to the States in 2008, all of a sudden I was having to read and write emails with clients a lot more. And that was also a great opportunity for me to get more confidence in both of those. And so it's just been a really wonderful learning experience, but it's also been terrifying and it's been frustrating. And, you know, I mean, what's kind of ironic about it now is when my dad was alive, he would always tell me, you know, this was before I really started doing a lot of interpreting, but my dad would always say, you know, Liesl, you have a gift for language and I really hope that you use your, use your Japanese and I hope that you, you know, keep studying, right? And did I listen to him? Absolutely not. Um, but it's kind of funny how now language has just become such a big part of who I am. And I find language to be an extremely powerful tool. Um, when I show up for a job, the Japanese client is always, they are just blown away by the fact that I'm their interpreter because of course I don't look like I would speak Japanese. And so they're like, yeah, you know, like what? I can't believe that you're our interpreter. Um, but with that also comes a lot of freedom and liberty to, 
use a much more uh, simple style of Japanese. You know, the Japanese workplace is all about keigo, usually with meetings and all that. And I can use keigo and I do use keigo, but with the formal Japanese or keigo, you're always putting a distance between your client or your customer or whoever it is that you're communicating with. So when I am hired by a Japanese company, I will a lot of times try to put in a little bit more of the casual Japanese because it helps establish a more informal relationship and it be, makes the communication go a lot smoother with the two parties. Now, this is not something that I do always, right? But sometimes, especially when the communication is broken down so far to where they need an interpreter and that's why I'm there, then I will do things like that. And so the whole psychology behind interpreting and language and how it's just so intertwined with the culture of the country is something that is really fascinating to me. And I love being involved in that world. Um, I have had some of the most incredible uh, experiences through my interpreting, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Um, so that is why we're talking about Bidingaduism. Um, but I hope that you enjoyed this podcast today, and I look forward to having you guys join me next week as well. Um, you can find my podcast once more at Spotify now, which I'm very excited about, and uh, some other streaming platforms as well. Thank you so much for joining me for Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. My name is Lisa Wilkerson, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day wherever you may be listening from. Live for lots of love, lots of peace. And I will see you again on my next episode of Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Janet, bye. Come on.